Welcome again to another episode of Ryan Annoys People. Ryan Annoys People, the, this podcast. Of course, um, I'm, of course, Ryan, the namesake, and I'm joined by Rail, who is a diehard Pelicans fan, and we're going to be talking about the play-in game on Wednesday. They'll be taking on, the Pelicans will be taking on the Spurs. Rail, welcome, yes, welcome to the podcast. And Thank you. I appreciate you having me. We're going to start at this the beginning and we're going to talk about narratives and okay. narratives. So I grew up, you know, I grew up in Memphis. So Memphis has this reputation as of being a basketball city. We are a basketball city, but for the city of new Orleans, when people mention basketball, they're like, Oh, new Orleans is not a basketball town. And I'm of age where I remember as a little kid, Fogelman Arena at Tulane was packed with fans when Tulane basketball was really good. And, yeah. and, and, and I thought about 2008 when I watched on TV that the game, the, the New Orleans Arena was packed with fans. Saw it in 2015 yeah. when, the, when the Pelicans took on the Warriors, the, 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 the place was packed. Blazers mm-hmm. series. The place was packed. So this whole narrative about New Orleans not being a basketball town, I was one of those people that felt that way because in Memphis, you walk around, it, it, it within two minutes, you're going to see somebody wearing a Grizzly shirt or a Memphis Tiger basketball shirt. Yeah. The city of New Orleans, it takes me maybe 90 seconds to see somebody wearing a Saints shirt or something Saints related. Yeah. But with the Pelicans, it was always like, oh my God, this team is a bad, this is a bad basketball city. And it's basically because of what, and I really want to know, and I really want to get your thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I mean, it, it's funny you say it takes you like 90 seconds to see somebody with same stuff on. I definitely, I can relate to that. Um, and I think, um, when we made that playoff run in 2018 and then also when we uh, won the draft lottery in 2019, I started to see a lot, a lot, a lot more Pelicans gear um, around the city and everything. Um, and so I think that, uh, and, so, and somebody brought this point up the other day about for the most part, if a city has a football team and a basketball team, more than likely the football team is going to have a bigger following. Um, and I think that in New Orleans, it's not, it's never been the case that New Orleans isn't a basketball city. I think it's just kind of like, um, how do I explain it? Like there's, Superdome could fit like what, 70,000, 80,000 people. About, six, about 65,000, about 65,000. Yeah. Smoothie King Center, probably about 17, 18,000 or whatever. Um, and, and if you could just get some of those diehard Saints fans to become diehard Pelican fans, I feel like there wouldn't be, um, you know, empty seats in the building on any night of the, any night of the year. Right. And so a lot of people who I talk to, they kind of blame, uh, they don't, they say they don't go to a lot of basketball games just because there's so many games to go to. Like for the saints, they got eight home games a year. Right. So they're like, Oh, I can do that. And it's just like, I guess that lesser frequency is what attracts a lot of people. Um, but I mean, I think as a whole, New Orleans is definitely like it's it's a hot spot for big events 
um, no matter if it's football or basketball. So there's a lot of like traveling basketball events that they don't really be trying to skip New Orleans. Like they want to come to New Orleans because they know they're going to have a big showing, right? Like the final four, they can have the final four anywhere in the country. But when they come to New Orleans, they're not going to have it in the Smoothie King Center. They're always going to have it in the Superdome and they will pack that joint, right? So like I went to the men's final, um, the men's NCAA championship and the attendance was like 69,000, I think. Um, they have no problem filling that up. So it's like, and I know a lot of people for, you know, the final four travel from out of town and everything, but um, it's, it's really, it's a hotspot destination for everything, including basketball. So, I mean, and, and people try to point at like attendance and things like that, but we don't have an attendance problem that other cities also don't have, you know, it's the same thing. Um, everybody's struggling with attendance right now, but I mean, I guarantee you tomorrow night, it's going to be very few empty seats in that arena, <laughs> you know? So um, I don't know, man. I think, I think the national media, they're really the ones who try to talk about, you know, New Orleans isn't a basketball city, move the team to Seattle, yada, yada, yada. If Seattle was that great of a basketball city, they wouldn't have lost their team that they had in the first place, you know? So I think that um, the, the talking heads really like to just say, oh, they're not that great. They can't keep a star moving, you know? So they just, they just talking. They just talking because they know it's going to get people up in arms and they got to have something to talk about. I definitely agree with that. I think one of the things, and I'm looking at that just at, in general at the, um, basically at the, um, the, the attendance numbers, the Pelicans are 24th uh, in total attendance. They drew 635,941. Mm-hmm. Uh, an average... In average, the Pelicans are 25th. Mm-hmm. And then if you look at the um, if you look at the percentage of capacity, the mm-hmm. Pelicans are 15th. They're mm-hmm. in the, they're like in the half. But then if you look at the road, if you look at just overall, just the overall, um, just overall, uh, the yeah. Pelicans are 26th in average attendance. And then in terms of capacity, the percentage is at 90.4, so that makes them 17. Mm-hmm. And what people don't realize is that Larry Bird's 60-point game happened at Lakefront Arena. Yeah. It happened, it <laughs> happened in New Orleans. Yeah. And and and, and uh there was some the uh, Keith Smart's Keith Smart's uh shot happened here. Uh-huh. Chris Weber, the Chris Weber thing. Yeah, uh, Chris with the Weber. Out with the timeout yeah. um then you have north carolina retiring coach k mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so a lot of historical there, things you know like there's a lot of historical moments uh a lot of historical moments and i think the one thing uh i was reading a book um about pistol pete and i actually know pistol pete's brother i've actually wow. pistol pete's bro- pistol pete's brother works at harry's on charters and Dumaine. So uh, oh, sometimes, wow. yeah, he works at there. I, th- I don't know if he still works there, but mm-hmm. a couple of times I've seen him. And okay. I always wanted to ask him questions about the New Orleans Jazz. And I was like, look, I would love to ask you questions about it. What was it like with the New Orleans Jazz? Uh, because you experienced this. Mm-hmm. And the story goes that the, the Jazz ended up leaving. It was due to an injury that Pistol Pete had. They were on their way to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And the way you build a fan base is you have, you don't have your team playing in four different venues in New Orleans. And this is 
you know, the Superdome was the only big arena at the time. And then mm -hmm. you had Municipal Auditorium, and then you had uh, Tulane Arena, and then Laola still had their field house. But the story mm -hmm. goes, Pistol Pete got injured. And this team was on its way to the playoffs. And when he got injured, the, the air came out of the tires of the Jazz. Wow. And basically, because the city had, they had like this huge amusement tax. It was like 13%. The constant, the, the, this is a true story. So the constant uh, being bumped off, you know, like in San Antonio, they have the mm -hmm. rodeo. In Houston, they have the rodeo. Yeah. So in San, so in New Orleans, when Mardi Gras came, the, the Jazz had to leave the Dome and play at Tulane Arena, at, at Fogelman Arena, or they had to play at La Ola, or they had to play in Municipal Auditorium. Yeah. Because they would have to use the Superdome for Mardi Gras carnival, for carnival events. All types so, of stuff, yeah. So, so basically, that's what led them to leave for Utah. Mm -hmm. So they just didn't have a home at home. They didn't have a home. <laughs> they didn't have a home, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, and you knew and, and, and nobody, it wasn't like someone, you know, people failed to realize they built the, the, the Superdome was built for football. It was never built for basketball. It was built for football. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For sure. So it was like, you're on the pecking order. You're like at the bottom of the pecking order. Yeah. You have to go. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and it's just, I feel like that this city, in terms of basketball with the teams, it's just cursed. I mean, I think, you know, uh, Tulane had a basketball scandal in the 80s, and I feel, and and the program did recover for four years, mm -hmm. but they never got back to that. They haven't been to the NCAA tournament in 26, 27 years. So if you were born, if you were born after 1995, you've never seen a two-lane team, men's team that is, represented mm -hmm. in the NCAA tournament. Oh, so it's like a lot of, it's like a lot of bad, just bad, bad luck. That yeah, bad juju, all of that, yeah. <laughs> so so th I think that's the thing. So there's so much stuff that has happened here. And I think now, as I'm going to go to the next question, mm -hmm. when we talked about this team, at the beginning, I was like, I was one of those people that said, Willie Green's not going to get it together. This team is just bad. What do you think got them going? Uh, I think that um, I think that there was a lot of damage done last year with Sam Van Gundy. And I think that the new coaching staff had to come in and kind of repair that stuff on the fly a little bit. Um, and then, um, of course there was, you know, everybody wanted to talk about how, you know, Zion wasn't with the team when they was working out in the summer and then, you know, he got hurt on his own. So there's that going on and that distraction and nobody's really talking about the guys that are on the court. They want to talk about what's going on with Zion. Right. So I think that there was a lot of, a lot of work that the new coaching staff had to do and it took them a while to get there and, you know, starting one and 12 and then three and 16 was like. They could have just given up, you know, but I think they, they really kept working at it and, and really, really worked hard to build a new culture, um, you know, in the locker room. Um, and then, you know, they got um, they got some guys in that they thought would be like 
a good locker room presence. Like, you know, they need to get some more veterans because the team's pretty young overall. So I think that there was a lot of fixing that they had to do while also trying to figure out how to win basketball games too. So I think once they figured all their issues out and they really started winning games, because since that poor start, I mean, we've been pretty, uh, a little bit better than even since then, I think. I don't don't know exactly uh, the numbers are since that, you know, since we're in 16, but um, I, uh, I think that going into next season, it'll be the first time in a long time that we'll see them start a season off not digging themselves in a hole early on. You know, it's not going to be one in 10 or whatever have you. I think they could at least play some 500 ball and maybe, maybe better than that. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to aim too high. I, I try to be cautiously optimistic, but I think it's definitely going to be better out of the gate next season than this season. So, um, you know, they'll be going into it with a more positive mindset, most likely. We, we talk about CJ McCollum and, and I, and I, I think back to 2011 with the Grizzlies, and I think about what Tony Allen did for that franchise and what he did, what him and Zach Randolph did for the franchise. Yeah. Um, I feel like CJ McCollum is that guy, is that Tony Allen, because he's yeah. seen the blueprint on how to get to the, like how to win. Like he was like, yeah. I've never missed a playoff since I've been in the NBA, which mm-hmm. is, and I was like, Wait, you that's amazing. I'm like, what you know, it's amazing, but also I never heard anyone who came to New Orleans to play for the Pelicans that ever had that kind of that kind of confidence that this was a playoff team. I'm like, wait, he what? I'm like, dude, this team's not this team's not gonna make the playoffs. How 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 important is this is this signing this acquisition of cj mccollum how important is this to this team i think when you combine the cj trade with the willie green hire it's like the two best moves that they could have possibly made um and you know we we joke around a lot about how pelicans fans have um ptsd when it comes to getting people here and thinking, you know, and, and especially the national media, they immediately are talking about, you know, that guy doesn't want to be in New Orleans. Why would he want to go to New Orleans? Whatever have you. So first thing CJ was saying was, you know, he worked with Portland to make sure that he could come here specifically, you know? So for him to say that he wanted to come here and they were like, you know, why'd you want to come here? And he was like, have you seen DI lately? Like you guys got a lot of young talent. You know, he just was reiterating that he really wanted to be a part of that. That meant a ton to, uh, the fans and I think that was before he had even stepped on the court so we're already immediately like okay he's bought in we're definitely bought into him so like you know let's ride we're gonna ride a die for this dude now you know so he's definitely an amazing veteran presence and I think that he him and Dane caught a lot of like they caught a lot of strays in Portland just because like people said they never like won anything but like to go to the playoffs you know eight nine or so seasons in a row like that a lot of teams out here ain't doing that, you know? Like, you got your top teams in the league that have just been in the playoffs consistently like that, but a lot of teams aren't doing that, and I think people just refuse to give credit to, to CJ and Dame, and they think that CJ was kind of, like, rotting away in Dame's shadows, but I think that they were an amazing one-two punch. Just their supporting cast just really wasn't all that, I guess, and they couldn't get over the hump. But, I mean, even the season when the Pelicans swept them, um, we were coming to the end of the season, it was like a three- or four-way tie. 
and we weren't that far behind Portland, but we ended up in the sixth seed and they got the third seed. But, you know, on any given night, any team can win. And we just happened to bring that fire four nights in a row against them. So, but in, in that series also contributed to CJ wanting to come and play here. So when we're hearing all of this from him and he's saying all of this stuff, it's like, man, this dude, this been on this dude's mind for that long. Like he came down here, saw how electric the atmosphere was in a playoff, um, you know, in a playoff situation. And since 2018, he's been thinking, I think I might want to go there when it's time for me to leave here, you know? So uh, the fans really, um, really appreciate him. And I think he was an instant fan favorite. And the, the CJ trade, even though we had to lose, uh, you know, our dear Josh Hart, everybody loved him. And even though we had to lose Nikhil, and he obviously really didn't want to leave here either. Um, I think the trade was absolutely the right move. And a lot of people think, you know, maybe Josh Hart could come back. I'm not going to hold my breath for that. If he came back, I would not be upset about it at all. But um, yeah, it was just one of those things. You, you can't keep everybody. If you want to trade for a guy like CJ, you can't keep everybody. You can't keep all your assets. So um, I think they, uh, they definitely made the right decision without a doubt. I, I, and by the way, I actually looked up on why, the, uh, before we get on to the next thing, uh, mm -hmm. the, the question, the answer, um, the, the, um, the story goes in terms of why the Jazz ended up leaving New Orleans. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just looking at Wikipedia. Okay. Um, they didn't have a, 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 a contingency plan in the event mm -hmm. if the Jazz made it to the playoffs. Can you imagine the Pelicans making it to the playoffs? They're mm -hmm. on the, tr like, tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And there's no kind of contingency plan in place on where could they play at. Mm -hmm. So basically, um, basically, if the Jazz had gotten and, and Elgin Baylor says mm -hmm. this because uh, a lot of people don't know Elgin Baylor actually coached the Jazz. He was a coach for the Jazz. And the book, and the book for the, uh, and this is a fabulous book. It's about a book about Pistol Pete. Uh huh. Um, the story goes, if Pistol Pete doesn't get hurt. They don't move. They would have gotten a new arena, the arena that later became the Smoothie King Center. It would have been built because of that. Way earlier, huh? <laughs> yes. They would have gotten a, I, I, that's what he said in the book. They would have gotten a new arena. That's crazy. Because if you, if you remember, the Raptors played their first few years in the Sky Dome. And okay. the story goes that they would only fill up the stadium like thirty thousand, uh, thirty thousand when Michael Jordan would come, and then they oh, wow. ended up get, they ended up getting their own, uh, their own standalone arena. They shared it with the Maple Leafs. Uh, the Timberwolves was in the same boat as well. They uh had to play in the Metrodome, and then they ended up getting uh their own arena, mm -hmm. and 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 it's like, what would have. The, the future and the dynamics of the jazz would have been different. If, yeah. if if Pistol Pete doesn't get hurt, you would have probably seen Carl Malone playing in New Orleans. You would have seen John Stockton playing in New Orleans. That's crazy. That's crazy and, to think uh, about. Right. I was like, when I read the book, I was like, wow, that whole one injury basically changed the entire um, 
the entire like dynamics of basketball in the city. Mm-hmm. Now, going on to the national media, mm-hmm. why do you feel like the national media picks on New Orleans when it comes to basketball? Um, I, I will definitely recognize that it's not just us that they're picking on. All the small markets they're really picking on, but I think New Orleans specifically is because you know Baron Davis wanted out, and, and you know Chris Paul left. Um, and, and Anthony Davis wanted out and they just automatically assume because this has happened before that, you know, as soon as you won the, the draft lottery, they're like, oh, they, the camera pans his eye on and they're like, let's see how he's going to react. Should he go back to college? Like, I, <laughs> it's crazy, like, for them to think that we just, you know, we were under different, different management, different ownership, all these, like, 20 years throughout the history of the franchise being here. And you can't just automatically discount us and then just disregard us um, as soon as we get a big player and be like, oh, well, nobody wants to stay there. So why don't we just put a bunch of trade proposals in the trade machine and see what we can do and see what we can fire up. And even local, even local, PD, local media, um, Fletcher, Fletcher Mackle, he, he put Zion in the trade machine the other day, I'm pretty sure. And it was just like, dude, like, you don't have this team's best interest, best uh, interest in mind. You know what I mean? Like you're not, you're not a fan. You're not a fan. <laughs> you're not thinking like logically, you know. And so, the national media, they really act like they want to see all the top talent in like maybe five different cities, five different um, you know, teams. Um, but what fun is that? You know what I mean? Like you, there's 30 teams in the league. You would love to see some parity. Um, you know, for for years now, the Western Conference has kind of been, like, on top of everything. But, like, now the Eastern Conference is looking pretty strong. Like, their top few seeds are looking really good, you know. An Eastern Conference champion won last year and then uh, in 2019 as well. And so they just I, – I think a lot of those people who are, um, you know, on those shows at ESPN and this and that, even, like, former players, it's like you guys don't really enjoy basketball the way y'all say y'all what I mean you should want to you should want to cheer for the little guy it shouldn't always just be y'all talking about the Lakers 12 out of 13 segments you know what I mean and so I think that there's like there's just really a problem um with the way that things are reported on and for whatever reason New Orleans is always like the butt of the joke and so at some point when things turn around for us or as things are turning around for us, people start to change their tune a little bit. You know, they're like, oh, we got to give a shout out to the Pelicans. No, get up there and say that you were wrong about what you said earlier this season, you know, but nobody want to admit that they're wrong about us. So I, I think that that kind of helps to fuel, you know, the fans and the players because it's just like, okay, they won't put no respect on our name, but we're going to go out there and earn it, you know? So I don't get it, man. <laughs> I mean, I can tell you from my time in Memphis and, I didn't grow up. I didn't, I didn't grow I'm not, I wasn't a Grizz. I mean, I, I love watching the, I went to a few games with the Grizzlies. Yeah. But the Grizzlies used to be known as the franchise you went to to end your career. Because Dang. that's where I, Allen Iverson played for the Grizzlies. And they gave him a Bill Street Blue um, guitar. And oh, wow. Was, they gave him a Bill Street Blues guitar a Bill Street Blue guitar. And I thought to myself, I'm like, you know, it would have been cool to see Allen Iverson in his, um, in his, you know, 
I, I would say in his first, um, in his prime playing in yeah. Memphis. Like early 2000s, was yeah, it like 2001? Yeah, like 2001. Mm -hmm. But now, no. It was a bad, it was just a bad fit in everything. And it was like, they went on this run. Like there were two, there are two moments that I remember. Mm -hmm. It started, like the turning point one was Tyreek Evans makes this circus shot in 2010 it's on it's on it's on youtube if you don't remember it they played okay. the kings it was a wednesday night uh -huh. my friend and i my cousin actually nico hardaway and i we watched this game right mm -hmm. so oj mayo he scores the basket that we think we thinking that it's gonna win the game right they uh the, the sideline reporter goes out, he steps right out onto the bait, onto the like onto the court, but he goes back in because he knows they're about to inbound the ball. Mm -hmm. Here's what happens next. The ball gets they outlet inbound to Tyreek. Tyreek is on the left side of the court, half about five inches away from the timeline. Oh, uh, okay. He this ball straight up and I looked at it, I watched the game, I'm watching the game on TV. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that ball, that's that's going in. <laughs> that's going in. The buzzer <laughs> sounds as soon the ball he the ball left his hand when the when, before the buzzer went. Mm -hmm. My cousin Nico calls me and I told him this has to be the darkest day in Grizzlies history. Man. Because this was a guy that we could have drafted instead of drafting Hashim to be. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is this unbelievable rally against the Oklahoma City Thunder. This was the year before they went to the finals, and this was during the KD, okay, Westbrook, yeah. and Harden era. Yeah. And Tony Allen started saying, all heart, grit, and grind. Mm -hmm. And that right there changed the franchise. And what's even weirder, what's even, what's even more fascinating, Mm -hmm. was that you used to have to beg people to go to Memphis Grizzlies games. <laughs> Memphis Tiger, no, seriously. Yeah. People would act, try to get me to go. And I'm like, why would I want to go and watch a team that loses? They, <laughs> they lost all the time. Yeah. So, so you know, and, you know, and so the next thing that happens, they go, they, they, play, the, they play the Spurs. Mm -hmm. They had never won a playoff game. They went to the playoffs three straight years. They had never won a playoff game. Yeah. Shane Battier hits this shot that mm -hmm. won them the game. And it was like the first taste of success that the franchise ever had. It's amazing. <laughs> so then we get to game six of that series. They have a chance to beat the Spurs. Now this is when you still, they still had Ginobili. Yeah. They still had Parker, three. Mm -hmm. Aldridge, and uh, I think Aldridge was there still. I think he was there, and, and Duncan. We beat them in six. They beat them in six games, and they partied like they won the NBA title. Jeez. So that so so we fast forward to the next series, the semifinals. Uh huh. They play Game Six in Memphis. There were people, I was at Tiger Lane. Tiger Lane is kind of like, um, 
It's kind of like what you have at like you you've been to Buku Fest, right? Uh, I actually have not. I okay. know all about it, but I've never been to. All right, what about like Jazz Fest? You know how Jazz Fest is, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you know, at like at fairgrounds, there's like this. You know, the, at the fairgrounds, you got that green space. Well, Tiger yeah. Lane is like this big green space in the neighborhood I live in. Okay. There were people that were um, in the green space. They had the game on this big screen. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about watch parties for the Grizzlies. Watch parties for the Grizzlies. Yeah. I always heard about watch parties for Memphis Tiger basketball when they're in the NCAA uh-huh. tournament, but never for the Grizzlies. That was the first time I ever saw that. And it started off this run of seven years of going to the playoffs. Yeah. So it was like, you know, and I and I and I say this because I think back to what, what we're talking about now with the Pelicans. The mm-hmm. Pelicans have only been to the playoffs in back-to-back years, I think, twice. They've never done it six, five, six, seven years in a row. Yeah, that's an it, amazing they, feat, man. Yeah. So, so in your opinion, if we, if they, if if we, the city, of, you know, the city of New Orleans, among mm-hmm. other things, if the Pelicans do what the Grizzlies did starting in 2011 Mm -hmm. 2017 will that will that be uh will it be something that makes new orleans grow up as an nba town for sure for sure and and i've been talking to a lot of other fans about this this season like ever since really early in the season when we saw how well memphis was doing like you know that is supposed to be what we're doing right now you know but we just had like you know bad luck of the draw with picking the wrong coach and we had a lot of injury issues and everything, but I think um, winning cures all, man. And and there's going to be butts in the seats if people are feeling like they're going to come out and they're going to be entertained. But if you have a team that's not doing very well and, they, and they're without a doubt, you think they're going to be losing like every single night, then you probably won't be following in there to watch the team. But if we got a young, exciting team that's winning games and at least showing some effort out there, people will definitely be showing up. And I think that's why, you know, this, this whole new really green era has been such a big deal because, these guys, you know, they, they finally got to that point where that won't bow down slogan actually means something and they're actually living by it. Like, we, I don't think there's been a single time this season, even if we were down by 20, 30, whatever. I don't think there's been a point this season that I've seen them and looked like, why have y'all given up? Like, they still, they still clawing back. You know, even you put the bench in there for some more energy and they're clawing back from a deficit and stuff. So I think, you know, I think the Pelicans have a lot of that they have a lot of heart, you know? So, um, yeah, like I said, winning cures all, man. So people, people will show up for sure. You just have to, um, a lot of the casuals, you got to give them a reason to show up, you know, whereas the diehards, we don't need no reason. We're going to be there regardless, but for the casuals and people who don't really pay attention until January or February, you gotta, you gotta kind of get their attention. Absolutely. I think that's the most important thing is getting those casuals because the diehard is going to be there. And I think that's what that's what happened with the Grizzlies. Like, that's what happened with the Grizzlies. They, they had to get those diehards. The diehards were going to be there. I think about my man's Mark McCleskey. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was there from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, they, you know, when Memphis won their first division title, and I told him, yeah. I said, you know, you've been there with this team since the beginning so now you're seeing 
a championship. Like this yeah. guy roots for the Cubs. He he's a Chicago Cubs fan, and he watched his Cubs win the World Series. Um, and and I think about you know it's so like in Memphis, the Civic Joke was also Memphis Tiger football, mm-hmm. and my man's John Maddox. When um, Memphis won the the AAC championship, yeah, in football, they got a chance to go to a to a New Year's Day Six Bowl. Mm. This was a friend, a, a program that just a decade ago had four thousand fans in a sixty thousand seat stadium watching a football game. Man, that's rough. True story. True story. They had yeah. four thousand. I lived in the neighborhood where the where the uh, stadium was. Yeah. And I remember the game. They were playing East Carolina, and they had to. They didn't show the crowd. All they did was they just had it on like a pan. They had like the football scores and stuff. Mm-hmm. They didn't even show the. They didn't even show the stadium. And they went from that to playing in the Cotton Bowl against Penn State, which was like our national championship. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it got people like me who used to make fun about uh, uh, the Memphis football program. It got me excited. So that's the kind of thing that needs to happen with the Pelicans. You also was in Memphis. Uh, I get. I think you were in Memphis for Grizzlies. Yeah, and, on Saturday. Uh, yeah, I was there Saturday. And you went to the Civil Rights Museum, right? I did, yeah. And what did you take away from that? Man, it was it was very moving. You know, um, we went in there and I wasn't really sure. I didn't read up a lot about it. So the only thing that I knew was that you were going to get to see, you know, the room where Martin Luther King stayed. And, and you know, that was pretty much, pretty much all I knew. Um, and someone had told me, I think that it... I think their website says it, it should take an hour and a half, but no, we were there for like four hours. There's like 24 exhibits in the first building. And then you got a, a bunch of stuff to look at in the building across the street too. So um, it was it, it was amazing to go in there. And the first first thing they talk about, of course, is gonna be slavery. Um, and so that's your first exhibit. And so we go through that whole thing and we're going through all these, you know, civil rights marches and, and um, you know, the, the bus boycott, the sit-ins and all of that. And you're just going, you know, decade to decade. And, um, you know, when we finally got to that point when we were standing just a few feet away from where Martin Luther King was assassinated, I stood at that window probably for a total of five seconds and I had to leave. Like the, the, this chill that came over my body was just like this moment of realization was just like, wow, you know? So I, I had to move on from the window and just keep on reading a little bit more about, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And um, th- I think the museum was, it was beautiful. And um, someday I hope to go to DC and see see the other you know the um, the African American uh, History Museum, but um, I'll cross that bridge when I get to that one. But I think that uh, I think a lot of times when the Pelicans used to go play the Grizzlies, they would play on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that was like a tradition. That that's a tradition. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a tradition for us. And like mm-hmm. I remember when they built the the, the Civil Rights Museum, I uh-huh. remember going down there with my mom and my grandfather mm-hmm. who was still alive at the time. And I remember that was an area of Memphis, of downtown you didn't go to. 
Really? Um, that was an area. Yeah, that was a that was a very seedy area. Oh, wow. uh, down down uh, a further south, there's a place called Max Sports Bar. I know the guy there. Max, okay. he still he um he owns the place, and that was like a place where radio guys, you know, five or six of us that were uh that frequent Max's Sports Bar. Yeah. Um, five or six of us ended up being in radio. There was a guy named Will Askew. He did WBH, WHBQ. Uh, yeah. Chris Raby did WHBQ. He ended up going to KMOX. Uh -huh. uh, I ended up doing WTUL here in New Orleans. WTUL here in New Orleans. Oh, cool. uh, John John Roser, uh, John Roser was doing AM seven thirty, and now he's doing. They're doing Grind City Media, but he was doing AM seven thirty, and then he was doing uh, AM six eighty in, in Memphis. And John Martin was mm -hmm. doing. John Martin uh, was is on AM six eighty, and we had a guy named Harry. There was a guy named Harry Long. Mm -hmm. Harry Long was on uh, AM 730. So it was like this place where all the legends of Memphis sports media, the young guns of Memphis sports media, yeah. they would meet at. And mm -hmm. um, that area was very seedy. And then they started building up like around 2000, 2001. And um, I was going to tell you, uh, my grandmother went to Dr. King's last speech. His speech was held oh. at Mason. His speech was held at Mason Temple. Uh -huh. uh, Mason Temple is like the mother church of the coach of the church God in Christ. Mm -hmm. And they had, she told me that he knew he was going to die. He, when he gave that speech, the mountaintop, yeah. the mountaintop speech, he knew he was going to die. Yeah. And I knew, um, I knew the pastor that he, they were supposed to have dinner that night. Yeah. And Reverend, 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 Reverend Cows, Reverend Billy Cows, mm -hmm. he had a, he had a church on South Parkway East yeah. called Monumental Baptist Church. Mm -hmm. I knew him personally as a kid. Yeah. And the story goes, the story that people get, don't get, and I'm mm -hmm. not one that believes in conspiracy theories. Mm -hmm. Um, James Earl Ray was a funky that everyone like the shot really if you stand there and I've stood and, and I've stood there myself. Uh -huh. The shot really didn't come from that the house that had the building that has the glass thing at. Uh huh. It came from another building. Okay. The building yeah. next door is where the shot came from. It didn't yeah. come from the shot. It didn't come from the building where everyone thought it came from. I thought it was crazy in the in the um in the museum when you go across the street to the building where they say the shot came from. Mm -hmm. I thought it was crazy that there was a whole display talking about well, like what really happened. Like, did we ever know what really happened? I thought that was crazy that that was in the museum. I was like, damn, they really putting this up here. Like, look, we don't really know. We think something fishy, you know? <laughs> like, I mean, oh, everybody damn. like it was like my man's this guy named Don Juan told me, and I said. I told Don Juan, I said, you know what? You might be right. Because mm -hmm. in the photo, everybody was pointing one way. Uh, uh -huh. one, everybody was pointing a different way. They weren't yeah. pointing directly at where the shot came from. They're pointing directly from another way. Yeah. And my man's John Maddox and I, we talked about, I said, John, James O'Reilly was a funky. He was the easy patsy. Okay. Yeah. He's a white, he's white trash. 
He's all these things. I don't yeah. think he, I still, to this day, I still don't think he killed Dr. King. Somebody else did it. Yeah, it was, it was crazy because we were talking about, like, you know, they said something about, you know, he was like an escaped convict. And then he stalked, uh, you know, Martin Luther King around, damn near around the country, following him from here to there. And it's like, if you're an escaped convict, how do you have all this money? How do you, how can you afford to like, you know, change your appearance and all that stuff? And I'm just like, yeah, man. It's certain things I I have in the past gone down the, you know, YouTube black hole, uh, looking at conspiracy stuff. I've never really looked a whole lot into the Martin Luther King assassination. So, but, um, so, so here's the last thing, and then we'll talk about the pe- the pel the uh, the last thing about that. Okay. Okay. So, again, here's this is the story that I, that people the, people like wanted me to give the uh, like a uh, like conspiracy theorist. Like uh-huh. I, I like I tried to do it one time, and I got put in a pack on Twitter. Buy you, uh, buy you not bond them was like oh. They they thought they were trying to make me make some joke about Dr. King. Why would he go to this hospital? Well, here's how it goes. Mm-hmm. Dr. King died at St. Joseph Hospital. St. Joseph Hospital is on the north side of downtown Memphis. It's now part of St. Jude, but it was the only Catholic hospital in the city. Mm-hmm. And the reason why he went there instead of not, instead of uh, the nearest hospital was about a mile and about two miles away. Mm-hmm. That hospital was Baptist Hospital. That's the hospital that Elvis Presley died at. So here's what happens. Dr. King said he wanted to go to a Catholic hospital mm-hmm. because he knew he was gonna be treated fairly. Mm. By the time he got to that hospital, they opened up his heart, they opened up his chest. They say that his heart was that of an 80 year old. Because if you look at some of them pictures, like Marduk King was 39 when he died. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Dr. Abernathy was 42 and looked like he was 60. Like the civil <laughs> rights age, the civil rights era aged a lot of those people that yes, were like young they were like our age and they look old as dirt yes indeed that i'm telling you i've been talking about this a lot just like i've been talking about stress a lot and how stress will kill you but like what they was doing was a whole different type of stuff you know what i mean what they were exactly. doing back then was a whole nother like level. exactly i was looking at those pictures and i was like i was looking at those pictures and i was looking at how some of my friends and even us and even myself we're like in that same age group that they were when they were doing this stuff and we don't even look like i mean we yeah we got stress and shit but it ain't like (laughs) it's not they was dealing with a whole a whole like we think we have problems now but like what they had to deal with was just i i can't believe i can't imagine myself having to go through that like and we were talking about the the bus boycott lasting a little bit over a year like these days we talk about boycott stuff we can't last a month boycott nothing like they just had a different type of they had a different type of strength (laughs) Because I think the thing I remember telling somebody, I said, if if you had Freedom Summer mm-hmm. during social media, mm-hmm. half the people you see wouldn't even last. Mm-hmm. Because it requires them to get uncomfortable. For sure. And you have to get out of your comfort zone. Right. And, and I ain't got no survival skills. I wouldn't have made it. <laughs> I would have been like, I would have been like, uh, like you what? Uh look. 
Yes, you were. Yeah. Your ass was too lazy to get uh to uh take in the information. Yeah. So it's not just so much of the schools don't want to teach it. Some of these schools are teaching this stuff. It's just that these kids are too damn lazy to learn the history, to go to school. They'd rather go and skip school and shit. Yeah, yeah, man. <sighs> but that, that being said, the Pals 12, um, yeah. how, did that, how did this start? Um, one of my friends on Twitter, and actually we didn't we didn't really know each other that well. We didn't know each other that well. We've been following each other for a little little minute. And um the girl reached out to me and said, Hey, you want to go watch the game somewhere together on Tuesday? I was like, Yeah, we could, you know, pick a bar to go to, whatever, we'll just go hang out. And she's like, Okay, cool. If you want to invite some other people, like maybe you can put a tweet out because you got a couple more followers than me. Um, maybe, you know, maybe you can get some other people to come out and we'll hang out. And I was like, Yeah, that'll that'll be cool. I'm thinking it can maybe be like six of us, you know, <laughs> but you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I put the tweet out and, and she retweeted it and everything. And we're like, Hey, yeah, let's just go do this. And I told my buddy, Sean, um, cause we, we share season tickets together. So, you know, I always in- include him and in all of that stuff. So, um, I tell him about it and then we were trying to, you know, get it going and get a nice place to go, but we ended up having to change the venue at the last minute. And so Sean was like, well, listen, why don't we just like, we can, we can start doing this more often, but why don't we just like make an account, a separate account for everybody to follow to get information about these things when we start doing it. So we're like, okay, cool. So he created the account. We went out the first night to um, to Jockey's. Um, on St. Bernard. No, no, not St. Bernard, Gentilly Boulevard. Oh, Gentilly. Yeah, we went to Jockey's on Gentilly. And um, we, and, and also this was a really important thing too, why we changed venues at the last minute. We were going to go to Bayou Beer Garden, but they weren't going to be able to put the sound on for us because they were going to be doing trivia outside where all the TVs is at. And then we could have been inside watching the game, but there was not a lot of TVs. Even though we didn't know how many people were going to come initially, it just wasn't going to be a good fit. So um, I think somebody either called Jockeys or they knew, knew a bartender there or something. So they confirmed like, hey, Jockeys will put the game on. They'll put the sound on for us and we can just hang out here. So that first night, it was probably about 30 people we had go. And it was a pretty, you know, it's a pretty small place and everyone was kind of packed in in the front. Um, so it was just, it was a really, really fun night. And a lot of people got to meet each other from Twitter for the first time that night. So it's like, you know what, we should, we should do this again sometime. So from there, we just like, okay, when's the next plausible game that we can do that the way that also starts at like seven o'clock as opposed to like, you know, the nine o'clock tip-offs and everything. So we just started looking at the schedule. Like, when can we do it again? All right, we're going to do it on that day. We're going to do it on this day, whatever have you. So it just kind of snowballed into this crazy thing. And it's just like, we, I definitely didn't realize how many people um, were interested in that. Like the Pelicans had hosted uh, bar crew events before and they had a decent turnout, uh, but it had been a couple of years since they had done that. So it was kind of like, well, you know, the team hasn't been doing anything because of COVID. So why don't we just go ahead? Like, you know, the the restrictions are, um, you know, a little bit more relaxed. Or, or completely relaxed. And so why don't we just go ahead and start organizing some stuff? We'll hang out. Even if it's the same 30 or so people that comes, you know, it's no big deal. But it's turned into like, you know, now we got over 100 people showing up at these parties and stuff. And then tomorrow we've got, you know, the, the play-in game, um, pre-game party that we're doing. Um, and that's probably going to be a crazy turnout too. I guess weather permitting. We don't really know what the weather is going to look like, but yeah, it all just started from somebody asking me if I wanted to go hang out and watch the game with them. And then I basically invited every single follower I had on Twitter that's local 
and now <laughs> now it's like an official thing so you know i think i remember going to a couple of those bar crews uh bar crew events because yeah nola jake used to come mm -hmm. on my old radio show at crescent city radio yeah. and he would we would be talking about the nba and stuff i haven't talked to him in years but <laughs> um i haven't talked to him in years but that's how i met that's how I met Jake mm -hmm. and, and, and everything. And it's like, it feels good to do something like that. And I think this is the it's thing true. that we missed, you know, that we missed in 2020, mm -hmm. having those events where you could come and you could congregate with your friends and families. And I gotta give a shout out to science for this. <laughs> you, you gotta give a shout out to science. <laughs> I, I Like, I love science. Like, mm -hmm. I love science. I, I, you got to give a shout out to science. The people who built, who developed the Moderna and Vac and Pfizer and all those things. Yeah. Because without Pfizer and without Moderna, we wouldn't be talking about pregame parties and stuff. Yeah, none of that. None of that. It's been a long, long two years, man. <laughs> it's been long two years. Uh, so in terms of part, I know you guys are doing it at the Rusty Nail, but yeah. What other bars are also involved with the Pels 12? Um, so, yeah, we started out at Jockey's. We've gone to uh, Red Door on Carrollton. Um, we really liked it there as well. They took really good care of us. Um, and so we've been going to Mid-City Yacht Club a lot lately just because they've um, they kind of got like a, a separate area for us to be able to watch. But we're kind of like, um, unfortunately, for the two parties we had there, I wasn't able to go. I was out of town for both of those parties. But... Um, they have like a separate area where we can go and the bartenders will take care of all the fans and everything. And um, I think the first night the bartenders were a little bit overwhelmed <laughs> because there was just so many people and it was Friday night and everything. But so far we've only got those few places that we've gone to. Um, we're definitely open to going to more places and people are hitting us up too about going to different places around the city. Um, and also fans that live out of town are asking us for help. Like, hey, how can we get this started in our city? So we're seeing people hooking up in Houston and Lafayette um you're just kind of like slowly spreading because I, I think a lot of people like you know we really love this team and we just want to share that with other people who also love the team so that's what makes it so fun to get out there and we're meeting new people that enjoy the team just as much as we do um and so <laughs> somebody that I know said that uh everybody knows uh, a big Pelicans fan and all of us know each other <laughs> so like if you, if you know me, right, and you know another person that's a really big Pelicans fan, I probably know them because of the Pelicans too, you know? So it kind of just, you know, it, it's bringing the community closer. Um, I think I saw that some somebody's kid's school is having a Pelicans dress down day tomorrow, like in the middle of the week, like that, that never happens. Not for the Pelicans. Like, you know, people have casual Friday where they sing shirts and stuff like that. We don't normally see that kind of stuff here for the Pelicans. So, I mean, I think the culture is changing within the organization, but also uh, around the city. And I'm just glad to kind of help, um, bring a little bit more awareness to the team and how great they've been doing. So the Pell 12 has been awesome. It's only been a month. So we'll see what happens. Well, uh, Rail, thank you so much for dropping by the podcast. Folks, the podcast mm -hmm. will be up tomorrow morning, Pell Spurs tomorrow at the Smoothie King Center. And what time, once again, uh, <laughs> what time is the pregame, uh, the pre, the pre-party, the pregame part? I may come by and yeah, the pregame party starts at five. Um, they're going to be doing a live podcast recording there. So as soon as I can get there after I get off of work, I'm going to be jumping on the podcast. Um, they're going to have a bunch of special guests there. They're going to have food and drink specials. 
Uh, I think they're also, we're also going to be doing some giveaways per usual. Um, and then what else? I think we got one of the podcasts is going to be selling some merch or something too. Um, but yeah, that kicks off at five. And for anybody who doesn't have a ticket to the game, I believe they're going to be showing the game on a projector screen there too. So it's oh, nice. be like a one-stop spot, all Pelicans, all night over there. <laughs> I am so excited for it. I am so excited for it. Folks, let me tell y'all this. The podcast again will be up on Wednesday morning. Rail, thank you so much for dropping by the podcast again. Once again. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time this time. And until next time, folks, we will see you down the road.